Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Steve Case said, You shouldn't focus on why you can't do something, which is what most people do. You should focus on why perhaps you can and be one of the exceptions. This is episode 69 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Kim Curry. When he moved to a small town in Colorado at 10 years old, he didn't exactly fit in. Growing up, he had moved around a lot, and this little town felt very different and weird in some ways. Having a name like Kim didn't help matters, because in those days it was seen as a girl's name, and this would cause him to get beat up and bullied quite a bit. At an early age, he'd find his confidence when he got a job as a DJ at a radio station. He would stay in this industry for over 30 years, and he loved it dearly. Then, in December of 2004, he would start to notice some changes in his sight and body, which he would blame on the stress of his job. A few months later, he would be diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and his life would be completely flipped upside down. At first, it made him bitter and angry, as it was hard to go from someone who was always in control to someone who was losing it. Now, he's taken back control of his life, and although he can't cure his condition, he does what he can to keep it at bay. He's also become an author and is continuing to reinvent himself. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Kim Curry. Hey, Kim, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. It's great to have you here today. You're one of the many people that signed up through podcastguest.com, and I'm glad you did and that you're willing to come uh, on and share your story. I appreciate it, Brian. Hope to help you out. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So the first question I ask every guest to get started is, what is your definition of vulnerability? Vulnerability. Um, I've always been in control. And whenever, uh, eventually when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I lost control. That was where vulnerability hit me. And that's, uh, honestly, I think that's the first time I've heard a definition like that. Most people stick with something of the sort of, you know, uh, figuring out who you are and like opening up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, That's the first time I've heard something like that. But I do definitely understand where you're coming from uh, in the sense that, you know, like you had to give up control and I could understand how that might be quite um, vulnerable for somebody because especially if you're not used to it, right? So it um, changed my life, you know. I mean, it's it changed my life. It made me better eventually, but it certainly changed my life. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm and I'm glad it did. I mean, and I'm sure we'll get into that uh, as the interview goes on. So, if you can look back on your own life, I know like what you just talked about there being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I definitely want to get into that, but if we can go back maybe a bit, like and go back as far as you want. I've had people talk about when they were 5 years old and I've had people start at like high school. Um, what would you say or when would you say would would have been the first time that you experienced some sort of vulnerability or struggle in your own life if you had any memories from the past that you can think of? Well, I fortunately, you know, I I have lived in a very strange life. Um, (laughs) You know, I I come from a very small town in Colorado. Um, I didn't move there till I was 10. My father was a, a Korean War veteran, so we moved around the country quite a bit. Uh, this little town that I came from, I always felt like they didn't like me because of where I was from. Um, eventually, surprisingly enough, I kind of put my finger on the difference between me and all those little kids in my classroom. Um, I don't know if I really want to get into it, but but I, I kind of grew up in a town where I'll just tell you, it was the basis, it was the base of the KKK here in our, in our state. Oh, okay. So I grew up in a town that was, there was only white kids in my class. And I had come from military bases around America. And I was a hyper little kid. And I even asked my mom, hey, where's all the other colors? And I didn't realize it till much later in life why it happened. So I was always, I was the guy who got beat up. I had a name, my name, Kim Curry. Uh, in the 1960s and 70s, you really can't have a boy named Kim in America. And so my nickname was Casey, but people still abused me for, my, for that name. So I always kind of felt like an outsider because of, of that. Um, outside of that, um, my father got me started in radio when I was 17 years old. 
And there was an empowerment that hit me at that point that, um, that I rolled through life like I was the king of the world uh, for 33 years. There's something about when I was a little child, when I was a little kid, and I heard my voice on the radio for the first time, you know, it's very empowering to me. My dad was a news guy at this radio station and got me a job there. And so life goes on with a, with a guy who likes hearing his name on the radio. People pay attention to the DJ. And, uh, you know, so I, I really was in control of my life for a majority of my life. Um, and then, you know, just not being a DJ, the kind of person that people gravitate toward, and then becoming a program director, which means I was running some of the, well, the biggest radio station in Miami, Florida. Uh, for nine years, I was at a radio station that we had more success than they'd ever had. I, I was hand, I, they just changed the conductor. We had the same orchestra, just changed the conductor. <laughs> at that time, you know, my, the radio station was rolling along like crazy and life was good. And my wife was, you know, going to the Grammys with me every year and everything <laughs> was fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, right around 2004, if you remember the tsunami, um, when that tsunami hit, uh, it was around Christmas 2004. I, we were home from Miami visiting my mother out here in Colorado. And my mother was mesmerized. She didn't even know what the word tsunami meant. We all were mesmerized by what we were seeing. Because if you think about it, that was the first time we'd ever seen any kind of disaster like that on television. Yeah. We were watching it live. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. It was stunning. And it when I left that on that vacation, my mother stopped me and said, you know, you don't look right. Something's wrong with you. And I told her, I said, mother, first of all, I've got the most stressful job in radio because when you're the program director of Power 96 Miami, radio stations don't shut off. Yeah. At three o'clock in the morning is as important as three o'clock in the afternoon to me. And I'm a real, you know, retentive kind of guy. So I never shut my station off. So I told my mother, mom, I'm under incredible stress. We've been watching the tsunami. I know you're just seeing what my life is. Mm -hmm. She said, nope, there's something really going wrong. And, you know, I was hiding the fact that I really couldn't see out of my right eye. And I was having deep pains in my right shoulder. And I was losing my gait. I wasn't, my, didn't feel like my feet were making contact with the ground. So that was in December. And by June of that year, uh, I had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that point is when I became vulnerable. I was suddenly ripped away from who I was. Everything I had was that person, that kid Curry radio guy, and the program director and all of that power was suddenly ripped away because I, I refused to work because I loved the radio station. I didn't want to slow them down. I was paying attention to me. Mm -hmm. I knew my life was changing because within about a four or five month period, MS really started kicking in on me and it hit me really hard for about 10 years. But in the beginning, it was devastating because my wife refers to it as our snow globe moment. When I got diagnosed, our snow globe got shook up and everything just went away and we had to wait to see where it settled. And so I retired from my, from my work in Miami, retired from radio. I uh, had to come out here to, my, to Colorado, my hometown, to learn what it was like to have MS because, you know, in November of 04, I was fine. In, in June, no, I'm sorry, by May or April of 05, I was in real trouble. So MS was kicking me. Mm -hmm. And for the next eight years or so, um, I hit it pretty hard. But, you know, there's a mental thing about going from the guy people gravitate toward to the guy people move away from because now I'm on a crutch and then I ended up on uh, in, in a wheelchair. And whenever I roll in somewhere, you know, people move away from you. So it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough, but yeah, I think I've come back from it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it seems like you, your, your spirits are high and everything like that. And like I said, I definitely want to get more into this. I actually have yes, uh, a friend that I met through LinkedIn um, and she's, uh, you know, I think she's probably somewhere around my age. I'm about 34. And uh, she suffered from multiple sclerosis as well, or suffers from it. And she ended up like going blind from it and, and having a bunch of other difficulties with it. And so I, I definitely have some idea, um, not personally, but just through other, uh, like I said, relationships and things that I have with people and friends. And um, that, that gives me an idea. But I want to go back for a minute, if you don't mind, to, to that first story that you shared, you know, being sort of the outsider in this new school, getting picked on and stuff like that. 
what would you say helped you sort of get through that time? Because I can only imagine, you know, like you're like you're saying, you don't really have a lot of friends. You don't, you know, you're in this new place. Like what, what helped you sort of work through that? Well, I could say that it's not that I didn't have friends. It's I had to fake to be everybody's friend because mm. everybody, no, I didn't think anybody was comfortable with me. Yeah. But what got me through it is, is my old mama. <laughs> I hate to say it, you know, it's my mother. My mother was never, my, my mother is the one who made me who I am. She's, don't step back. Uh, don't be afraid. Um, she told me one time, she says, don't worry about things. I remember where I was standing in my house and I, have, I can still drive by this old house. It was built in like 1890. And I know exactly where I was standing the day she said to me, do not worry about things you cannot change. And I have, that has set in my soul from that moment. I must have been 12. Oh. I was standing in the second run of the, the stairs, going upstairs. And I was looking down at my mom and I was complaining about my girlfriend. And she said, stop worrying about things you cannot change. Wow. Thanks, mom. So you know, <laughs> I, I think she's the one who really got me through it. She always told me, you know what? We're not like everybody else here. Yeah. Because I was outgoing. I, I was, well, I ended up being an entertainer. You know, my father was a news guy uh, at my own, at the only radio station in my hometown. We were kind of, and my mother had been in the orchestra in Dodd City, Kansas, playing the big cello. So my parents were, and my dad was a drummer in high school. So we were, in, they were entertainers and they kind of raised me like that. And so to them, you know, go in there and get it taken care of. You go in there and be friendly who you have to be friendly with. Make your friends. Don't worry about them. Put them on your side. And what ends up happening is when I get to be a senior, I get, you know, voted senior class president. Surprise to me. Because <laughs> the girl who was the Michelle Beaton, I thought for sure she was going to get it. But I won. I couldn't believe it. Of course, that was also the same year they voted me the class clown. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have to kind of way yeah. which one as well so so i think it was my mother that did that it was the, the the very soul that she put in me of of what kind of person i was supposed to be and that manifested itself through that first time i was on a radio station i had to hear my voice and i remember the exact words uh this is krln canyon city colorado the station with the news reputation i guarantee you i didn't say it like yeah, <laughs> it was more, more nerves. And <laughs> I was parent, but you know what? I heard myself and I thought, wow, that was cool. Yeah. So it, it all manifested itself into a really cool thing for me. It was, a, you know, I had a really good career. I enjoyed broadcasting. I, it really, it's my blood. It, it, you know, there are a variety of things that happened during my radio career. I was in San Antonio, Washington, D.C., I was in Baltimore, Maryland, but I spent 25 of 33 years in Miami. So I went through the, uh, the Duffy riots. I went through Hurricane Andrew. Uh, when I was in Washington, D.C., I had an encounter that, you know, I didn't get diagnosed till 2005 with MS, but it kept showing itself in my life, through my life. I just mm -hmm. didn't know what it was. There was a thing that happened to me in Washington, D.C., surprise, surprise, you know, I had a feature on my show. I was a nighttime DJ. So all the little kids, even when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was a cool nighttime DJ. Um, so I had a feature on my show called The Bed Check. And it was the very end of my show. And what I would do is I would let kids call in and just say stuff. They could, you know, rat on a student, uh, yell at a teacher, uh, call their mom name, whatever the case may be. But when I got to Washington, D.C., you can imagine what happened. There's an open phone. All the politicians started calling in. It became a political feature. It drove me nuts. But there was one night when this guy called and he said, hello, my name is Frank DeFramer and I've got the president right here and here's, he's listening to the bed check. And I'm like, <laughs> and I hung up on him. He called back the next day. Hey, man, I'm Frank DeFramer. You hung up on me last night. I had the president. I said, no, 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 no. Click. I hung up on him again. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, he kept calling. And I finally got, because I was on the air, I couldn't stop and talk to him. So at one point I put him on hold and I, and I got him on and I said, what are you, who are you? He said, well, I'm Frank DeFramer. I'm the guy who frames the portraits at the White House. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, so he wasn't I really, joking. <laughs> he was not kidding. So uh, I really did have a friend at the White House. And so, you know, months go by, a friend of a girlfriend I had, her grandmother came to town. 
And grandma, of course, got to hear the story that oh, I got a friend in the White House. Well, then take me over there. I want a tour. And I'm like, oh, no. So I called the White House, right? <laughs> this is how it happened. I called the White House and I'm like, listen, um, I need to speak to a guy by the name of Frank DeFramer. And I'm expecting them to go, oh, sure, click. And they, oh, yeah, Frank, hang on. Like, oh, no. And <laughs> hey, Frank, Frank, it's Kid Curry. Kid Curry, what's up? So it was just crazy. I said, you know, I've got a friend who wants me to bring the grandmother over. So, you know, this is right after Reagan's assassination attempt, and there was no change in the security at the White House. And I was told to drive up and tell them you're Kid <laughs> Curry. They'll know you're coming. So, okay. So I'm driving around the White House, and I see a road, and I'm telling you, it, it looked like it went right up to the side. So I thought, okay, here I go. And I just start driving. But these men start coming out with their guns at me. Yeah. And I'm, the closer I get, the more panicky I get. And remember, well, I don't know if you know, stress is a definite trigger to multiple sclerosis. So I'm driving up. These guys are pulling out their guns. I've stopped my car. I've rolled my window down. I go to try to get out of the car. And the right side of my head just freezes. And I... I, I, all I could do when I rolled out of the car was, I'm Kid Curry, Kid Curry. And I fall out of the car and they're like, Kid, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. Frank said you're coming. Oh, man. Can we get you a wheelchair? <laughs> so they end up taking a tour of the White House and everything. But that was an MS exacerbation that only happened because of the stress I was under. Yeah. And I, now I can go back and see when I was under stress, that happened. When I was under stress, that happened. So it just didn't stop happening in 2005 when I got mm -hmm. diagnosed. But, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's been a really big life. And I was just screeched when I got diagnosed. So yeah. it, it became a real difference for me. No, for sure. I, and, and like when you brought up that point, I know that, like I said, that friend that I have, um, she mentioned that a lot of her um, issues came when because she was being burnt out through work, like work was just too demanding and stuff like that. So I can definitely understand how it may have triggered, um, you know, sort of at that point, even though at that point, I guess you weren't even really diagnosed, you were just sort of knew something was up, but you kind of like you said, for those that period in time, you were just sort of trying to in a way, hide it or ignore it, I guess, in some sense. Like I, you I got a bee sting. To... I thought the, I yeah. got a bee sting or something. I was like, what was that? Like, I must have got stung by a bee. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up with some reason, right? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you're going like, and, and again, I, I know I keep going back here, but I, I just want to, you know, try and uh, get an idea of, you know, who the person was before where we're talking about now. And so if you're looking at, you know, again, going back to those, that situation, as, you know, being younger and everything like that, when, when you're going through school, you know, you got that great advice from your mom, but what strength would you say you discovered in yourself at that time? You know, like what, 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 what did you find in yourself going through, you know, sort of the bullying and everything like that? Was it just your ability to adapt? Cause you did mention before that you just sort of tried to become everybody's friend. So was that, would you say that would be it or was it something else? I think, I think there was a real acceptance. I tried to be everybody's friend and I was a musician. Uh, I was at the age of five, uh, fifth grade. I took up the trumpet and fortunately uh, got to be pretty good, pretty quick. Um, but what made me be good was the band director's son was also a trumpet player and I didn't like him. So I wanted to be better than him. <laughs> competition. I was at home all the time practicing drive by dad nuts. Shut up up there. I'll get it up. You know? But, uh, you know, I, I had a drive and I think the music really helped too. Um, there's a variety of things that bring you through that. I mean, first of all, my mother, of course, her attitude, uh, the strength that I had, in my own self to be able to stand up and perform as a young trumpet player. Uh, it's crazy enough. I don't know why this just came to my mind, but when I was in ninth grade playing basketball, I used to have to get dressed in my basketball uniform and then go out in the middle of the gymnasium and play the national anthem. <laughs> so goofy, man. It's like, what am I doing out here? You know, so, uh, no, but it was always that it was there was always been inner strength there's always been that thing that made me think that i can do this i can handle it. in fact you know what it bleeds over to my multiple sclerosis you know i can i can tell you that my condition was really falling apart for for eight years and there and when i first got started with the disease there were only like three or four drugs 
Well, now there's like 20, but there was a time when there were more and more on the market. And my doctor was concerned. My doctor, Dr. Alan Bowling, and he's got a book I want your, your girl to know about, uh, Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. Um, he writes all about this disease. He is my Bible. He, he is who I talk to. And um, now I forget what I was talking about. What, where did I go? Um, you're just saying like, you know, that you had that drive and that you want your, you know, your willingness oh, to push forward and everything like yeah. that and how it's helped you now. Well, I, I think, you know, I may have just totally lost it. That's another thing about MS. Oh, we all have different, different. Oh, yes. Oh, I was going to tell you about how, what happened to me. Okay. So, so I, I'm on this drug. This is called Rebif and it works very well for some people, but it didn't work well for me for about five years. My doctor said, you know, we got to change this. You need to go to a new drug. So I started a new one called Copaxone. Um, at the same time, my doctor has always preached that vitamin D is absolutely vital for people with multiple sclerosis because we all lack vitamin D. All of us do. But the lack of vitamin D in a person with multiple sclerosis affects the disease, he believes. So he tried for two years to get me to take vitamin D. And I was like, come on, man. I grew up, they always said vitamin C will cure your cold. Yeah. It doesn't. Okay. So I never yeah. believed in vitamins, but right about six months into the change of my medicine, my wife convinced me, shut up and do what he says. <laughs> so I started taking very high IU doses, uh, 5,000 IUs a day of vitamin D. Now a combination of my medicine change and six strong months of taking vitamin D my condition leveled off. And I mean, it was noticeable to myself, my wife, my doctor. Suddenly, my, I wasn't having as many um, exacerbations. My eye wasn't failing. It didn't continue to fail. It stayed to a point. Um, my, my legs are gone. I don't walk. I'm stuck in a wheelchair. But I could feel even mentally that things had changed, that I, I, wasn't, I wasn't as stressed over what I was going on. I felt it had leveled off. Now, what happens at that point, the doctor believes, because there are lesions on your brain with MS and lesions in your spine, my doctor believes that you can kind of rewire the things that have happened. If you've got a lesion over here, if you work hard, you might be able to spark those other parts of your brain and maybe they can work around that lesion. Well, that's kind of what's happened to me. The person you see today is not the guy that was just sitting here five years ago. Um, I have, I have, I have, okay, when I started realizing that I was maybe not as bad off as I was going to be, a very influential music guy here in the United States, Vince Pellegrino, had, as a, mag had a magazine called the Street Information Network. And every year he gave out awards to the best record promoters in America. It was a big ceremony. You see the Grammys, but those people wouldn't have the Grammys if the record promoters didn't get the records on the radio stations. Yeah. So those were the guys who got the big awards. And it was a huge award ceremony. I had never been, but I knew how big it was. About eight years after I retired from the business, Vince Pellegrino called me. And he said, you know what, man, I need you to come out here because I want to give you a Lifetime Achievement Award. You need to come to my, my awards in New York City at B.B. King's Blues Club. And, and so he flew me and my wife out there. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was so gone away from my, my work. It had basically just disappeared for eight years. And he brought me back into the fold to see friends I hadn't seen. My entire 30-year radio career was in front of me, promoters, former people I'd hired, some I'd fired. Uh, and it was very, very invigorating to me. The morning afterwards, I have breakfast with Vince, and he tells me that he's dying. Uh, so apparently in his mind, this was his thing. He wanted to do this for me. He wanted to wake me up. And he told me that morning, he said, man, I, you got to do something. You can't just disappear. You've got to come back and do something. And so in my mind, again, I start thinking, well, Jesus, you know, if he's going to be gone, maybe I can get back in the business. But you know, the truth is this is radio music and it changes all the time. Eight yeah. years later, I was useless to anybody. The business had changed. So I think what, I, what happened then is I wanted to tell this story. I wanted to tell my, my radio career story. Being diagnosed, going through my medicine change, having my life come back together, having my friend Vince pick me up and shake me off and say, hey, come do something. So then what I started doing was writing. I, I hired a writing coach. 
because DJs can tell great stories, but it doesn't work on paper. Yeah. So I had to hire a woman and for a year, she made me read books, study, uh, did the little red pencil on everything I submitted to her uh, and taught me how to write. And I wrote my memoir, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through, which is the last line I would say on my bed check because I was supposed to be the little kid on the radio. Come get me, mother, I'm through. Show's over. Um, so that's the name of my memoir. And then I continued writing. I've got a fiction that I, I'm, I'm real happy with. It's um, called The Death of Fairness. It pertains to what happened in 1987 when President Ronald Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine, uh, which basically allows lies to be made legal. That was the uh, equal time for contrasting points of view when you take the equal time for contrasting points of view out, you only get the presidents from Kenya. You never get, well, no, that's not true. Here's his birth certificate. Mm -hmm. So you all have a form of the fairness doctrine. You don't have the Rush Limbaugh's and the Foxes that we have here in America. So that book tells the story of what happened to a small American town and its only radio station when Reagan rescinded the fairness doctrine in 1987. So I kind of had to reinvent myself is what, what this whole thing is. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because something that was popping into my head even earlier on when you started to tell your story and then now as you're sort of continuing it is it sounds like uh, you may have struggled with identity, if that makes sense. Um, what I found for myself and, and a lot of my guests, to be honest, and, and hopefully, like I said, this is something that relates to you as well, is, you know, we can tie our identity, like for me, uh, to, to, to things, right? So for me, I tied my identity to my career for years. I was in sales for a good part of my working life. I'm not right now, but I was in sales from like 17 till 31, 32, somewhere around there. And, you know, for me, I was Brian, the salesman. Everybody knew I was a salesman. Everybody always called, you know, oh, I got a sales position. Do you want it? You know, uh, I, I, I'm doing this and we need sales. Do you want to do Like, it was always just part of me. And, and that's all I really thought I knew how to do. Like this podcasting thing would have never even been a thought in my mind for all those years because my identity was a salesman, you know? And, and so again, what I'm getting at, I guess, is, is that something that you sort of struggled with, you know, as you got to, I guess, 0405 and you're like, you know, now my identity is going to change because I'm not going to be this radio person anymore. You know, it, it did affect me to the point to where I actually had a website for a while that I, I called waskidcurry.com because <laughs> I was Kid Curry. The person that I left the business as was no longer that guy. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled. I really struggled. I didn't want to be that guy. It, to me, in my mind, he was over. This is a different person, uh, physically, mentally. And I, I really, really struggled with it. And I actually did some features for a while. They're out there. You said it's on the internet. They're out there somewhere. But I, hope, I, don't, I can't find them. <laughs> I don't know where they are. But they were features I did under Was Kid Curry. And I would just try to, you know, try not to be me, you know. And um, so then... Then, you know, I said, that's when I, my friend Vince appeared. And then suddenly I realized, wait a minute, man, this is who I am. You know, you better just realize it. And, you know, that's why I thought, you know, I guess it's okay that I write the memoir. I mean, I am this guy. Let me tell this story. But I, I did. I put together a website, waskidcurry.com. Um, my wife helped me with it. And I, you know, faked my way through whatever I was doing at the time, I really couldn't even tell you. I blanked it out. So someone's going to oh, find that's... it now. And here it comes again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it is interesting that you literally had like this part of you that you felt was, had gone missing so much so that you weren't even that person. Like that's a, you know, it I was, I, you know, I was definitely looking for some sort of example, but that's a pretty like dead on example yeah. of somebody really sort of feeling like they've lost their identity. I was mad about it. I was mad. And see, that's where, you know, I've had to, you know, a lot of, a lot of sitting around in a wheelchair as opposed to being the kid Curry that I was. And then now it's sitting around. It's a lot of thought goes on now. I mean, I, <laughs> things have had dawned on me in the last, I guess it's been 15 years now because I just have time now for open thought. Yeah. I had forgotten had happened. So, I mean, I, I just, I had, I was angry and I wanted to get rid of it. And then I had to realize that, wait a minute, that's who you are. You better try to get over it and act like it's your life. And I'm very comfortable now. But now I can tell you this. 
we're, ha we're having this subject. I'm going to bring this up just because you talked about it. <laughs> My memoir, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through, right here by Kim Kid Curry. It says it right there. <laughs> but I go to publish the second book, The Death of Fairness, and I publish it under Kim Curry. I left Kid Curry out. Yeah. I don't, I, it's, maybe it's still in me that I'm not that guy anymore. Because I had to, I, I really struggled with that. And then after I put it out as Kim Curry, my uh, publishing friend said, where did the kid go? Because there's a lot more people that pay attention to Kid Curry than just Kim Curry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the next book will have Kid Curry. From now on, everything will be Kid Curry. Because <laughs> now it's a marketing thing. You know, I, I didn't care about it because it was just my book at one point. But now it's a marketing thing. My people are like, hey, hey. You got to protect that. So, okay, yeah. I'll be Kid Curry, I guess. I'm still <laughs> well, playing with it, Brian. Yeah, that's how you were known, right? <laughs> messing me up right now. What's wrong? <laughs> and something else I wanted to touch on, if you don't mind, is, is yes. you had mentioned, you know, like when you went from, you know, being somebody who was, you know, walking and obviously was losing some of your, your feeling and stuff like that to somebody in a wheelchair. And you said, when you go places, like people move away, like what, because again, I, it's not something I've experienced, but what was that like? How? How did that, I guess, feel as one thing I want to say, but then how have you gotten to the point now, like you said, where you're, you're more comfortable with it? Because I can imagine when it first started, when you first started having to accept it, it probably wasn't the easiest thing, but now you've sort of come to it. Kid Curry was a very famous guy. I could walk into a restaurant. I was in Miami, Florida, 25 years as the famous DJ, and now I run the big station. So there was a thing about me, man, and it was in me. I could, and I liked it, but I wasn't, I, you know, because I, I took care of people. I was good with people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I loved that. It was part of me. And then when it disappeared, it really, it really bothered me. It angered me because, you know, I'd, I'd come in on a, on a cane. First I was on a cane, then in crutches, then in the wheelchair. But even in a cane, people start to get leery. And then when you come in on crutches, because now I'm plopping around, you know, uh, they move away and nobody looks at you and they don't care. And then when you're in the wheelchair, you're really the guy that causes the problem because they've got to move chairs around when you sit in the restaurant, da 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 So what happens to a guy like Kid Curry is you finally realize, wait a minute, I'm the guy that runs the room. I'm in the wheelchair. So I will set the mood in the room. I will be the one who says, hey, everybody, how you doing? Man, that is a beautiful dress. Hey, thank you, kids. And kids love the guy in the wheelchair. I communicate with kids very well now. So I have completely, that is no longer an issue for me. Yeah. Because something happened. I don't know when it was. I don't know what happened. But I finally realized again, hey, yo, Kid Curry walked in. Everybody's got to pay attention to me, man. Yeah. So I just do that now. And, and I can tell you that, that I have been in, I have been in, in, in stores. And recently, a couple months ago, there were two people at the counter waiting on customers, taking a long time. And some huffy, huffy dude walks in. He's got half a mask on. He's not really paying attention. It's under his nose. He's like, oh, you only got two people back there? And I was the next customer. So when it came time for me, I got to say, hey, yo, do me a favor. Shut up. Put that thing on your nose. And you can take my place in line now. And you can be next. And you know what? When you leave here, you go be nice to somebody, you little twerp. Just like that. <laughs> and everybody in the room kind of went, Hey, because <laughs> he was being such a turd. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was being terrible, man. So you know what? I will change it. I can yeah. do that. I did when I was him. I can do it now that I'm me. So uh, I sit on that. And um, I guarantee you, people out there know the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah, don't mess with that guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> Not <laughs> well, no, that but, one. And it's 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 funny how you sort of said like there's him and me, but it's always you, right? So it seems like you just basically, in in my opinion at least, it seems like you sort of lost a bit of your personality because now you had this new identity, I guess. But now you've sort of rediscovered it and brought it back. The other thing that I found funny is to me it sounds like, and I maybe funny is not the right word, but anyway, the, the point is is it sounds to me like sort of full circle because when I when I thought when you were talking about that I, I your your mom basically popped into my head because you basically said that like you went from you know realize like 
like everybody started having to move chairs and do this and and it was uncomfortable and it was awkward and you didn't like it to realizing I can't change people which is what your mom had told you all those years ago so you decided I'm going to change myself and in that way I'll change people and so it just it's funny to me like I said like that your life basically went full circle you you went from you know sort of that bullied kid to when you were, I think you said 12 and your mom told you that statement and that sort of changed things for you to going back. Now you're here, you are 30 odd, 40 odd years later. And that's, it seems like that popped into your head again or something or something must've mm-hmm. sort of sparked it again, because it sounds like the exact same situation where you realize I can't change people, but I can just sort of change my attitude about it and see what happens. And those are some great examples as well. You're absolutely right. And I appreciate you pointing that out. I get to learn here too. <laughs> well, and that's the thing even for me as a host right like that's what i say all the time is i'm learning just as much as any of my listeners are and, and that's what I, I think i enjoy most about this to be honest yeah. so um you're real good at it brian i do a lot of these things <laughs> i appreciate that i appreciate that like i said this is just uh i started this as an article series on linkedin and then i decided let's do it as a podcast and so far so good and i've really enjoyed it and i've had that compliment before i don't know what i'm doing i don't have any radio background like you do or or anything like that but it's just an idea that i had and 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 i'm running with it so i I do appreciate that it's it's a unique process to be able to listen to stories and come up with questions without getting lost in the story and then remembering those questions i i've studied this i'm a radio guy so you're doing real good if you never did it you have it natural (laughs) well i appreciate that like i said so i want to sort of um let's see if this question makes sense but you know you talked about that first time on air and like you know your your voice wasn't there the confidence wasn't there and everything like that can you think and just because of so many years on radio can you think of any other times that are any other stories that you have from being on radio where you know something went wrong or you know something didn't feel comfortable or anything like that because I, I i'm just curious because it seems like you know you do seem very natural even now like you know you're not maybe in it anymore but you seem like you have that natural presence about you and so i I just wonder if there's any slip-ups over your your long career that you can remember that you wouldn't mind sharing. Well, keep in mind that after 33 years of being on fairly popular radio stations around America, I have too many stories. <laughs> but but you but something popped in my mind, you know, when you when you were asking me the question. I was in, in San Antonio at KTSA. Uh, KTSA is a legendary radio station in Texas. Um, 55 KTSA San Antonio is programming the station. I was on the radio in the afternoon, one afternoon, and I was just doing my thing. And the engineers were in the office doing something. And the, the, it, the worst that could happen to a DJ is the only thing that would work was the microphone. I've got no commercials. I've got no songs. I got nothing. It's just going to be you and me because it won't even shut off. So what we're going to do now is just talk about anything that comes to my mind. And that went on for about eight long minutes. And I'm telling you, I'm perspiring now thinking of it. It was torture. Now, now I can do that. Now that's no problem. You know, when you're a, when you're a, a radio DJ playing songs, my whole thing was, you know, here's, you know, latest by Tom Petty, whatever the case may be. And here's the song. It was that. But to just sit and start to talk. I hadn't had that experience at that point in my life. And uh, so it was very, very frustrating. But to be on a radio station, the only thing that works is the microphone is kind of a drama. So uh, there are a variety of those types of things. I, but I, I was on the radio during the disasters that you might remember. In fact, um, the one thing in particular was the, the, the space shuttle, the Challenger explosion. Uh, that happened to me in a strange way. I got up in the morning and, and was getting ready to go to film a television show. I was in Baltimore at the time on a station called B104. Well, at that time, it was the 1980s, early 80s. There was no cable television in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, we had cable out here in Colorado, but there was no cable in Baltimore, which I thought was weird. But we had a TV show at the time. They couldn't see MTV on cable. We had a TV show on a UHF station. We called it BTV. And we did videos and we did the same thing you see on MTV. And it was usually famous because once again, there was no MTV in Baltimore. So I woke up that morning to go to the TV station. And as I'm walking out the door, 
turn on CNN and sure enough, I'm seeing 30 seconds after the explosion. And now I got to go in and go on and I've got to do a TV show that's going to appear on Saturday, three days from now. Oh, because, yeah. And now what am I going to do? And so it completely changed my thought process on the way to work. I mean, it was just, uh, it was crazy. I had to, I just, because there's no videos you can play. Yeah, yeah. All you can do is sit there and, and think that we're all uh, just going to sit here and mourn and talk about those wonderful people who took a chance to go out and teach us something. And there was a teacher, Krista McAuliffe was on there. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, that was a difficult TV show. And uh, so, yeah, I've been on the radio during riots, um, during hurricanes, Hurricane Andrew in Miami, when the in, you know, entire neighborhoods were wiped out. Uh, so that's, but that's part of my blood. That's, remember, my father was a newsman. I loved yeah. those things. I used to tell my radio disc, disc jockeys that we only play songs until the next disaster happens. And because we're so good at playing songs and people like us so much, when it comes time to do news, we're going to be better than everybody else. So I'm telling you, this was something that, that my dad instilled me, and I loved it. In fact, it, some of the work we did down there in Miami was historic. Uh, I mean, the, our 9-11 coverage uh, got awards and stuff. So, you know, it's, um, you know we, I really took it seriously. No, for <laughs> really sure. I liked what I was doing. For sure. What, what I find, like, when you started that off and you gave me that first story, and, and I appreciate all of those, definitely, like I said, I, the reason I asked that question is because I feel like all of us at some point in our careers, we have moments where we might question our career, where we might have something happen. And so I just felt like it might be relatable for somebody listening. You might not have been in radio, but to, to understand that, you know, even the smallest mishap or anything like that, you can recover from it, I think it's an important message. And anyways, getting back to what, what I found interesting, though, was when you were say when you were when you went to say eight long minutes when you said eight long i thought you were going to say something like hours but then <laughs> when you said minutes, only eight minutes i was like that what i what i found interesting about that is that you know eight minutes on radio feels like the forever especially like you're saying if you know you're not used to doing that if you're not used to just speaking into a mic and and trying to come up with subjects so gonna but play I, I, willie nelson was the next song so let me play willie nelson everything was fine and then suddenly nothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and engineers well, walking by the window going i don't know what to I don't do. know <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so and like i said i, I just i i found that interesting because it, it, most people I, I i just wonder like in my head obviously you know if somebody else was in that situation on the radio would they've been able to sort of you know, recover the way that you did or would, you know, the whole show just end or whatever might happen. So I just found it interesting when you said it was eight minutes, I thought it was going to be like a lot longer. And then <laughs> eight hours, you know, that eight minutes eight felt minutes. like probably an hour or two to you. And and so again, it was just interesting to me, yeah. you know, uh, you know, if you, if you can look back on, you know, all those years in radio, your, the career that you had and uh, how would you say that sort of all of those things that happened through your career, um, even if we go back to your childhood dealing with sort of the being picked on and everything like that, like how would you say all of it's helped you with your, uh, your, your, your journey, I guess, through MS? Like, you know, I think you touched on it earlier saying that, you know, you've had that drive, you've always been very driven and, and always trying to, you know, do your best and, and everything like that. But was there anything else that you can think of from, you know, the, all those years that sort of helped you get to the point that you're at now where you've, you know, you, like you said, you haven't necessarily gotten better, but you've leveled off. You've, you're more accepting towards it. You have sort of repaired some parts of, of your life and your, your, your body and everything like that. So how would you say all of those years helped you sort of get to this point? Well, I think, you know, what, what happened when I decided, when I finally, when the condition leveled off, um, all the good things that that I needed in my life were there. My wife who pushed me forward all the time, you know, uh, this is my third wife, but we just celebrated our 20th anniversary recently. Um, that part of me is, a, is full. Uh, I knew what I needed to do to clear my mind. I just needed to get focused and, and be the positive person that I knew I could be. Yeah. I was held off for a while. I got angry for a while, but I knew I could get over it. And eventually when I, when things started happening for me, when I, I the, the, the learning how to write, all the rewiring of my brain, I think that's where it started. Uh, the doctor talks about that all the time, that there's, there's healing that we don't have any clue over. And, and I'm telling you, the guy you're talking to today is not the same guy who was here five years ago. Now, um, 
I can tell you that in my head, I don't think I've got MS because I act like I, you know, I, I, my wife is always there to help me when I need it, but I try to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. I have to pull myself up sometimes to get to a sink to do something, but I can do that. Um, so in my mind, I try not to, I'm, I could even be getting worse, to be honest with you. I had an exacerbation within the last six weeks that devastated. It was a vertigo thing that wasn't gone for about two weeks. But I just try not to think that they're there. I try to think, okay, well, I'll just, I'll have to get through it. I'll just get through it. So I've got this thing that makes me think that I'm going to just get through this. And it, it, it's only, it's, it's, you know, when radio stations don't shut off and you always have to look forward and get ready for the next thing, I think that may be what you're talking about. I spent my life trying to get ready for the next thing. Now, it did disappear on me for a while because of what happened. But when it came back, I'm going for the next thing. I try to get better all the time. I'm already into my third book now. I'm 30,000 words into my next 80,000 word novel, uh, which will be a continuation of The Death of Fairness. So I, this is, I'm, I'm invigorated by, by moving forward now. Is my body really just not failing anymore? I, I can't tell you that. The doctor tells me I have, I, you know, I go through all the tests still. I, oh, I've got to take my MRIs. I've got to, you know, I, I get my C scan, my what a CT scans, they do them. And I take a lot of medicine. The MS medicines are very strong. I have reactions to that sometimes that knock me out for a day. But in, but in here though, I'm like, okay, we just got to go on yeah. because that's really what's happened to me. I just had to keep, okay, go on. That failed go on. Let's try this. Go on. So I think that's really embedded in me. And that's the kind of guy I am. And uh, my wife appreciates it. Um, I, I, my wife, my wife is an international business coach. Um, she has clients all around the world uh, in real estate. If you don't sell 100 houses a year, you're not one of my wife's clients. So she's very, very, very purposeful and positive. So that kind of, we all feed together here in this yeah. house. And I think that's probably why I feel I'm, I'm living a great life right now. You know, I really do. No, you know, and, and what you said there, it was sort of what I was getting at in terms of, like you said, how, you know, being on radio and the fact that radio keeps going and you always have to think of what's your, you know, sort of 10 steps ahead. And that's how you sort of move forward. Now that's what I was looking for. Exactly. The other thing that I think um, came up for me, at least, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but let, let's see, um, is that, you know, in radio, I'm assuming that most of your career, you were by yourself. Um, I know there are radio shows here where it's, you know, they have two hosts and they sort of work off each other and stuff like that. But it sounds to me from what you've shared that your career was pretty solo. So I just sort of made a relation between the fact that you've still tried to be independent. Like you were saying, yeah, you have the help of your wife. You have people to assist you when you need it. But for the most part, you're trying to be independent. And I would think that all those years of sort of being that guy, solo guy on the radio, it's sort of given you that attitude as well, because you didn't have somebody to lean on on the radio. If you couldn't think of something to come up with next, it wasn't like you could turn to your right and be like, you got something like you had to do it yourself. And so I'm assuming that that independence that you gained and that confidence that you gained through your radio has sort of helped you as well at this point. It's that, that pressure of when they turn the mic on and suddenly there's, you're the only one. Or there's a song, that the song is fading and somebody just handed you an announcement that says the president's been an attempt on the president's life. You know, there really was a lot going on and I need to really focus. And once again, Brian, we've been talking a long time and I think I'm getting real in my head because I forgot what the heck we were talking about again. Multiple sclerosis. It does show in me sometimes. <laughs> I forgot what we were saying. I'm no, but no, well, like you're saying, I was just talking about the independence that you, you have on the radio, that you're yes, solo, sir. and then what you were saying even there too in terms of focus. Like I can only assume that you need more focus with your, like, and you're, you're showing it. And, and this is very raw. And I appreciate the fact that, you know, we're continuing and that this is as raw as it is, because I think this is important to get this out there because, uh, you know, not everybody's willing to be as open and as raw as you are. So no. I just want to say that I appreciate that. But I think that the focus, like you're about to bring up, also makes a difference as well because you need the focus to continue on your medication to yeah. continue to try and find ways to push through you know even when you talked about the book that you you'd said that doctor had written you know like you you've definitely you know 
got into it. Like you're not just sort of giving up and saying, okay, I have this and that's it and whatever you're focusing on. How can I continue to improve whatever minute improvement it might be? You're still always just focused on that. One thing we always said on the radio is you got three and a half minutes. Song's going to be over. You got to come over something else. Song's going to be over. And when you're done with that, guess what? Song's going to be over. And when you're done with that, guess what? The song's going to be over. <laughs> so so there's a lot of that. I got to just keep going. I got to keep plowing through this. So it, it really matters to me that uh, I have a direction. I have a feeling and I'm at peace and I've, I've got great support. I'm telling you, man, uh, anyone who has a good caregiver, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it makes they all are, the difference. Uh, they are treats in life. I'm a very lucky man. And the people you surround yourself with, no matter what the situation is, whether yeah. it's MS, whether it's just life in general, the people you surround yourself with makes all the difference. I'm, yeah. you know, when you were talking about your wife there a few minutes ago, like I'm 100% on board with the same thing. My wife, if it wasn't for her, this podcast wouldn't exist. I wouldn't be talking to you right now because she was one of the people who sort of said to me, like, what are you waiting for? do it. Like you've thought about it. You're, you're thinking about it, like just do it and see what happens. And you know, I, when I first started, I was like, how am I going to get my first guest? And then within the first week I had 10 guests and then yeah, I signed up for podcastguest.com and I had over a hundred people apply. And Good. you know, now I've done 60 something episodes and I've got another six or seven in the, in the, you know, works to, to come out and everything like that. So it's, I, I can understand, you know, definitely how a good support and, and the people around you make a difference. And then as well, like you're saying, the drive and the focus you have on your own, uh, with your own self can and make all the difference as well. So right. I can definitely relate to you in, in, in those ways for sure. So if you could look at, you know, where you're at right now with everything that's going on with your new sort of career and journey with writing, would you say that, you know, you've found success and fulfillment in your life again, or would you say that you're still on a journey of figuring that, that, that out? So I, like I said, and we agree that wives are muy importante. Um, <laughs> my wife and I are, I'm really happy with where we are. And I'm really happy that she supports me in this. You know, there's something about writing this that I, because what I'm writing is fiction now, I get to sit back and put myself in scenarios. And I work real hard at doing research. I'm, I'm doing, I'm writing a book now that I don't want to give away too much, but the protagonist is going to go through the process of trying to bring back the fairness doctrine. Okay. And it's going to be a young woman. So I, I'm right now getting a young woman to help me figure out if I'm saying the right things or if, and I've got, and she's, I take all the way back to when she's in like middle school and she's got this little girlfriend she knows. And, and so there's all, I'm, I'm, I'm re, the research in doing that is exciting for me. I love what I'm doing now. And I think I've reinvented myself and this writing thing, you know, when I'm done with this book, I, I, it's funny, a publisher of all things, I was, I, was, I was pitching my book a few months, well, a few weeks ago to, a public, to four publishers. All four of them, they, I hooked them. So I know this book is going to be good. I know that I've got somebody out there who's going to want this book, but it's already spawned me to go to the next one. So now I'm like, wow, I'm 30,000 words. I got to hurry up and get this. Well, I did. you can't hurry yeah. another, what? 50,000? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It, it, I just go and I go and I go and I look back and I think, that was only 2000 words, <laughs> but, but I've done it before. My memoir was that long, so I'll be able to do it again, but I'm already ready for the next one. So I think I've got a thing here and I enjoy doing this and there's nothing better. You know, my first book, my memoir, come get me mother. I'm through ended up on Amazon's general broadcasting list, got to number 11, Howard Stern's number one. I got to number 11. And to me, that's like getting a rating book and you're number one. I say, yeah. yes, absolutely. So every time one of my books does something or, or suddenly I'll, I'll, I'll get royalties that I wasn't expecting more than normal. I'm like, well, whoa, somebody must have, you know, taken this to their school or something, you know, so you never really know. But yeah. those, that's to me is like hitting a good rating book, like my radio show's number one or the radio station's number one. That's what I, I feed off of now. And books. my website, krcurry.com, I also blog there. And I do the interviews that I've done are all up there too. But when I, when I go and I see that people have been paying attention to blogs I've written, once again, that's the touchdown for me. So I'm in a good place, man. I get to write. I get to come up with stuff. People like it and they tell me. And that's kind of like being a radio guy. I get to go yeah. do my radio show. Ratings are going to come out. And when they come out, if they're good, good. And if they're not, I'll be gone. But 
I was never gone. I was always- <laughs> you know, and, and part of that question, I brought up the word fulfillment. And, and what I was thinking as you were, you were talking about that is what's interesting to me is I feel like a lot of us feel like, um, and even myself, feel like fulfillment's like this sort of destination where it's like, you know, you, you feel fulfilled, like your life is good and everything like that. But it seems to me with you like you your life you had fulfillment being in the radio industry like you you were it's the passion and everything that comes through as you're talking about it and the joy i can see in your face when you're telling stories and everything like that so it seems like you had fulfillment in that career then you you lose that career you go through that period of anger and everything like that but then you were able to find fulfillment again through a totally different and to me that's incredible because i think a lot of us you know if you were that fulfilled in radio and you lost that you may have just given up completely and said you know what that was me that was it and, and that's what made me feel good and and just not even look for something else that would make you feel fulfilled and make you feel that same feeling but it seems to me that you found it so i just wanted to bring that up because kudos to you for being able to sort of push through and then find something new that that made you feel fulfilled all over again because again i don't think a lot of people would have necessarily done that I go to men over 50 with MS meetings and I know I'm in a unique situation for some reason. Yes, my condition was going down. Uh, it's not as, it's not going, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not as bad as it was, but my condition is going, is, is certainly there. Uh, I, I, I feel kind of strange sometimes because I go to these meetings and I see these guys who, who, who have tried all the medicines and they haven't stopped their condition. It bugs me, man, sometimes. So I know that I'm in a real lucky situation here and um, I'm fulfilled. I work hard to be good to other people. That's what I think it's all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I believe uh, who just passed away recently. There was a, Oh, darn it. I'm seeing his face. Carl Reiner. He said, there should be one verse in the Bible. Don't hurt anyone. Uh, I live my life like that. I do good things as much as I possibly can. I'm a very lucky man. I, I've seen I've seen what can happen in, with this disease, um, and I'm I know that I'm not like everybody else. I've 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 been given a chance here, and so I I'm taking it, man. I'm gonna keep writing. Uh, I know people like it, and I enjoy doing it, and my wife lets me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, keep doing it. Like I said, and and I think that part of the reason you're saying when you go to those groups and you see other people and they're not maybe the same, they're not as upbeat or or where you're at. I think it's because, like I said, they've probably taken that option or that idea of just giving up and and accepting what is and whereas you're not doing that. And so again, kudos to you for that. You know, what bugs bugs me at these meetings, and this has happened, where guys will get so frustrated. I'm not going to take any more medicine. I'm done. No more medicine. I'm finished. Nothing's helping me. I'm done. And then they don't come back. Yeah. And I never know what happened. And this is, this is about the fourth time now in these meetings that I go to. So it's, it's it, but I go there to try to inspire them, man. I tell the guys, no, man, don't give up yet, man. And I tell them about my vitamin D. I'm, I'm hyping my doctor's book all the time. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, you know, when you've got MS, when you're, you're in a crew, we have a crew, we're the MS crew. So when I find somebody's got MS, man, I get in their face. How's it going? What can I do for you? What do you need? Can I help you with anything? Can I get you a, my, I give out, I buy my doctor's books and give them out to people that I meet with MS. So I'm, I'm a real advocate. I believe that, you know, I try to, I try to let people know that you can go through this and not lose everything, knowing full heartedly that it can, it can turn on me at any time. Um, I see, I see it happen to people. I see them okay almost, and then suddenly it starts to kick in again. You know, they say that I, I'll, I'll be taking this medicine the rest of my life because if I stop, it will come back twice as bad. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I try to do my best to push my MS patient friends through it. And, uh, well, you know, so, so I, it's, that's a thing for me. I enjoy doing that. I hope that, you know, people hear this podcast and if they do suffer from it or they know somebody that does, I hope they'll forward it off and, and, and more people will listen to this because I'm hoping that we can help some people as well. I mean, a lot of what you're saying is similar to what uh, that friend of mine that I mentioned earlier on the episode sort of said. It's, a lot of it has to do with your attitude. It has to do with what's going on in your head. A lot of her recovery from what happened was just simply because she started shifting her mindset from you know, my life sucks and I'm miserable and there's nothing to live for to, 
you know, I have the kid and like, I need to be a, you know, uh, the best mother I can and so on and so forth. And just the attitude change started to, you know, make a lot of things better. Obviously, like you said, it's not something that you're going to reverse or cure or whatever, but your attitude makes a big difference. So again, kudos to you for having that attitude and now trying to spread it. And if I can do anything to help through this podcast or whatever, I, I just hope I can, because I, I know there's a lot of people that suffer from this. I mean, I don't know a lot of them personally, but I know there's a lot of people that do. And if people like you can get your message out there, I think it'll make a, a huge difference. So you know, whatever I can do. Um, we're getting down to the last few questions here. I want to yes. respect your time. I know we're sort of over an hour now, but, mm. um, you know, the, one of the last questions I ask is if you can, you know, sort of, you know, look back at everything and, and all the sort of different things that you've done and, and even your journey through MS and everything, if you could give our listeners three important lessons, three lessons that you've learned from your journey, from everything that you've been through that might be able to help the next person who's going through something, whether it's MS or something different, what would you say those three important lessons would be? Well, the first one would be never give up, never give up. Always know that there's got to be an alternative. And I think that comes from, from this MS thing. I, I, I act like I don't have it. I'm just going to keep going regardless. Um, the other is be nice to people. Um, I think you give, if you give good, you'll get good. And especially now it's difficult. We're all behind masks. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, they can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> and even in, I'm in the wheelchair and I got a mask on, they can still hear me. And I still, I mean, I will control the room. Be nice to people. You will get back good if you, if you give good. And the last thing I might think would be, remember that this isn't going to be over. This is going to continue. We're li our lives now, the way they are, are not going to change. We are stuck in where we are now as a society, but this is, this is like a beginning for me. I don't know about you, but this whole pandemic thing has been a new beginning for me. It's changed me. It's made me know what I need in my life, the people that I need around me in my circle. Uh, so this isn't going to end, and you're always supposed to go forward. And don't give up. So if we're going to be in this new life, this brand new life after pandemic, remember that, that you shouldn't be afraid of it. It's not going to go away. And you need to make the best of it you possibly can. Uh, because you really can control your mind. And if mm -hmm. you don't, you can cause yourself some real problems now. Because there's a lot of things out there right now that can make your mind polluted and hurt you. So be very conscious that you know that this isn't going to end. You need to be positive and be very, very nice to people. That's what, that's how we're going to do those three things. I think that's what I would say. No. And, and awesome. And, and I, I mean, the first one, a hundred percent, I agree with, because I think that a lot of us, we, we get too comfortable. We, 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 you know, whatever it might be, whether it's our job that's making us comfortable, whether it's something else, apologize. My, I think somebody just came to the door. So my dogs, no are using it. But, um, but yeah, the point is, is that, you know, like, I think a lot of us just get comfortable and we do give up. We just sort of say, okay, you know, like, this is my life and I'm going to accept it. I did it for years. Like I said, in sales, just, I'm going to be a salesman. I remember, you know, my wife asking me years ago, like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I was like, sales. And she's like, with who, with what, doing what? I was like, sales. Like, you know, <laughs> I limited it to such small things. Right. And if I had have just given up on myself and said, that's all I'm going to be, then like I said, this wouldn't exist. So hundred well, percent. It's know. like, you know, for my wife, remember that, that my wife was on my arm at the Grammys. I mean, she basically was, you know, running, she was my, my calendar girl telling me where to go, when to be, where we're mm -hmm. supposed to be there, get dressed, do this. And then suddenly she had to turn around and become the leader of the pack. Yeah. And my wife, when we first moved, when we first retired and I, I left the radio business, I brought my money out here to Colorado and we did some flipping of houses. She didn't like the way she was being treated by realtors. So she said, I'm going to become a realtor here in this town and I'm going to beat everybody. And surprisingly enough, within two <laughs> years, she was setting statewide records. So she got into it. She, you know, she got out of, we got out of the flipping business and she went to go be a realtor and broke records. And then she got out of doing that to teach other people how to do it. So there's a complete transition for a person. I'm so proud of my wife. I used to tell her all the time before she got into real estate, honey, you could be a bank president. You're smart enough for that. Yeah. And then she got into real estate and 
killed that. And yeah. now she's teaching people all around the world how to do it. So, yeah. you know, that she's my, she's a good example for me, man. It's, you have to reinvent yourself. You have to yeah. keep going. Not give up. And, and then the second one too, I, I just want to quickly touch on that because I think that that's one of the most important things that we can all do is just be nice to each other. I think that, you know, I've heard it over and over again, reading books, listening to other podcasts that true happiness is found in service of others. And so I think that's exactly what you're touching on there is that being nice to people, helping people, doing what you can, it, it, that's where you're going to find happiness in yourself. And, and I agree too, like I, good if you do good you're gonna get good I, I couldn't you know agree with that more I, I always used to be a very miserable human being a very angry human being and you know I see the difference now in, in the way that I sort of interact and everything and, and the difference it makes for me and then people around me so 100% agree with what you had to say there so the last thing um, that I, I do here uh, is just really an opportunity for you as one of my guests to promote yourself um, talk about anything you want to talk about upcoming books website whatever it is social media wherever whatever you want to put out there i want to give you the opportunity to do that so the floor is yours go ahead brian thank you very much first i enjoyed this today uh, you're real good at what you do and um uh, make sure you let me know when you're ready to air it and i will promote it on my end too i have a website krcurry.com c-u-r-r-y uh, there you'll find everything you need to know about me my family pictures i've got my books that are up there uh, i've got information about my blogs i've got uh, the interviews that i've done like yours uh, and then I'll keep you updated on that website about my upcoming book, which is, um, I'm telling you, fortunately, I, I, I think I really have something here. I pitched it to four different publishers. They all love the idea. Now I just have to finish it and then I'll get back <laughs> up there and pitch it some more. So, uh, awesome. but I, but I enjoy this man. And, and, and so you can catch everything you need to know about me at the website, krcurry.com. And, um, thank you for your time, Brian. I really had a good time. No, definitely. Well, I back at you. Uh, thank you for coming on. Like I said, uh, for me, uh, the one thing I think that I enjoyed the most about this is how raw it was. Like I said, the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you accept what's going on and the fact that you continue to move forward and continue to the interview, move forward, life move forward. Like to me, that's inspiring. And uh, I just, like I said, I, I really appreciate when people come on and open up like you did and, and share as openly as you did, because we don't know each other. Uh, you know, it, it continues to humble me that people just trust in me as much as they do and and all the kind words that you had to say i appreciate that especially coming from somebody like you who spent years in that industry and and definitely has some experience and and, and when you're speaking to me and, and giving me those kind of compliments it's from experience so uh, again i appreciate you coming on kim i will definitely keep in touch and and yeah thank you for for sharing your story with us today my pleasure all right man take care and have a great rest of your day peace be well bye-bye too Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.